Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. With me today, my guest is Kim Frank, who's president of Geopath. Welcome. Good morning. It's nice to have you here, and you're not from out of town. You're from just up the street, basically, Times Square, yeah? (laughs) One train down. (laughs) Okay. Now, Geopath is an unusual topic for our podcast. I speak to a lot of brands, a lot of vendors. Geopath is actually... A non-profit, isn't it? That's correct. We're a not-for-profit organization. We've been around since 1933. Oh, wow. I did not realize that long. So without going, giving us the full history, explain who your members are and what you essentially offer them. Certainly. So we have three core membership groups. We are a tripartite not-for-profit organization. Our three member types currently are agencies, advertisers, and out-of-home media owners. We were previously known as the Traffic Audit Bureau for Media Measurement, (laughs) which was a bit of a mouthful. So um, about a year ago, we rebranded under the new name Geopath. Um, Our focus now is on the geolocation of audience pathways. So Geopath was a really great fit for us from a name perspective. Our core um, offering for our members is that we provide the currency for the out-of-home landscape. So how many people are seeing any piece of -of out-of-home inventory? Um, We provide the same kind of metrics you would see in any other channel. So ratings, impressions, reach, and frequency, we deliver all of that. But our structure is obviously different uh, because we're a not-for-profit. The members um, dictate our priorities, they weigh in on our methodologies, and they all share the cost of building the system. I see. So uh, your members, you mentioned you have certain levels of membership. What, what types of, of brands or companies? Uh, right across the board? Um, sure. So we right now we focus primarily on um, roadside and transit inventory. So mm-hmm. roadside would be anything from your standard billboards or posters, um, but also street furniture and the kiosks that they've been putting up in, in New York City here. Yes. Uh, we also do transit. So we do buses and subways. We are looking to expand our membership to be more comprehensive of the entire out-of-home ecosystem, which is, quite frankly, changing very rapidly um, as we enter um, new locations with new formats and new technology. Uh, We also have out-of-home specialist agencies um, whose focus is primarily on selling out-of-home. Everyone's starting to dabble in mobile as well. We're, We're location experts, so mobile and out-of-home go really well hand-in-hand. And then we have advertiser members. So Coca-Cola sits on our board of directors. Mm -hmm. Telemundo sits on our board of directors. Um, And the uh, company that makes Corona, they sit on our board of directors. All of them are spending money in out-of-home and are interested in weighing in on the way we measure it. This is fascinating to us because we're talking about out-of-home, talk about all kinds of elements of the physical environment which are no longer just physical because the environment around us is being digitized. And that's what's fascinating about this. So you're able to actually drive data. I'm sure you couldn't do this back in 1933, but drive data from all these physical locations you're talking about. That's correct. Uh, Our focus on our old measurement system, the legacy one that we're migrating Mm -hmm. off of moving forward, the focus was really on measuring inventory. It was about measuring that location in that time and place the new focus is on measuring audiences right. as they move throughout their day, regardless of whether or not there is a billboard in that location. We don't know what is going to be where as the future 
yeah. moves forward. So we're just focusing on measuring people instead of measuring inventory. But that's a huge, a fascinating transition, isn't it? So you're actually looking at the trajectory of people, potential consumers, as they go about their daily business, regardless of whether they're near a location of interest. Correct, correct. And then we can drop the inventory on top mm. of it, yeah. but it allows us to be more flexible. It empowers our members to look at potential new locations mm -hmm. where there may be an, an investment in the future um, to help spec out where are the best places for us to put kiosks sure. to help the public as they're you know migrating through smart cities. Yes. Um, so we're really looking to the future of what will we need in five years, ten years down the road. You mentioned smart cities, and of course this all relates ultimately to the so-called Internet of Things. So I was wondering what kinds of uh, technologies you use to, to track the trajectory of people. Is it um, all about mobile devices? Are you looking at sensors? Are you looking at... Um, forgotten the name of them now, those, those beacons, beacons, beacons that's <laughs> it. Uh, any, any of the above? Sure. So we, what we've built essentially is a data agnostic fusion engine, which sounds really mm. very complicated. But um, the reason we've built it that way is because the data sources are changing so rapidly, and what is really robust and great today may not be the same data set that's the one we need for tomorrow. So we've built this data fusion engine. Right now, the pieces that we're utilizing in that, uh, there's a core of carrier data, so an anonymized, aggregated audience movement from mobile devices. Yep. There is uh, GPS data in there. We're partnered with the HERE network. Um, we also have data from connected cars going in. Um, speed is very important right. when you're talking about how many people see a piece of inventory on a highway. If someone's driving 10 miles an hour because they're stuck in traffic yeah. and you have a screen that is doing digital rotations, uh, they have more opportunities to see more spots if they're driving 10 miles an hour versus 60 miles an hour. So that's a component of our impression mechanism and our reach and frequency right. models. Um, so those are the core pieces of data that we're utilizing today, but we're still exploring all kinds of new technologies. We're talking to sensor companies to get better interior measurements right. and beacon companies. And um, they're, they're just the amount of location data available and the precision uh, is just increasing inc incrementally. So Now, something we were talking about before uh, we started recording is how members tap into this because because you're a not-for-profit um, members pay a fee and share this that, that must be quite a good deal <laughs> it is quite a good deal um, because we have members sharing the cost we can make sure that we are purchasing the best data available to answer the questions that our membership have um, and then everyone is involved in our various committees we had a committee that helped us develop our new methodology um, and then they can access our data either via the software that we provide or we do make it available via API so that people can ingest it directly into their own systems for use. Uh, and that's important, isn't it? Because then they can start linking it up to their campaigns, whatever they want to execute in-house. Correct. It provides an opportunity for differentiation for each of our members yeah. to use the data the way that they want to. Okay. Now, a question which immediately came to my mind... I I know there are a lot of commercial vendors out there who are developing geolocation, geotracking, all this stuff, and, and selling it, to, indeed, to make a profit. Um, 
it's interesting that you're in that space. I mean, is there any thought of moving in a for-profit direction? Um, interesting question and something that's quite topical. We Our core focus is really on providing a service to the out-of-home industry. Yeah. But as we've been talking about the solution that we're developing, we've started getting phone calls from organizations that we never thought would be interested in tapping into the Geopath database. Um, so it's something that we would like to tee up for our members to weigh on. It's ultimately the decision yes. of the industry. Uh, we do think that there is immense value to the data set that we are developing. So we're having meetings today about exactly what does our membership look like in the future? What does the out-of-home industry look like in the future? And how do we ensure that we are um, getting the full value out of the data that our members are investing in? Right. And I'm just speculating here, thinking this through, the motivation that a brand would have to go to a commercial geolocation vendor would be that that vendor will be prepared to align with them, work on developing their campaign in competition with with other brands, whereas you're agnostic for your members. I mean, you're not helping one member beat another member by campaigning, if you see True. what I mean. That's the difference, right. isn't it? Well, it's interesting. So I have worked in all different media channels and I've only been working in out-of-home for two years now, a little over two years. What I think is super fascinating about this industry, and it, it's one of the explanations for why there's an organization like mine, is that the industry does not focus on competing within the industry. Mm, okay. We, there really is this belief that uh, out-of-home should have a bigger piece of the advertising pie. Yeah. And so our focus is really on letting people know the great things that we can accomplish for them, how savvy we are now with data, to help grow that share so that we're getting more investment. So rather than stealing from each other, right. the focus is really on growing share from outside of the out-of-home ecosystem. Um, I think if you were to look at the out-of-home industry, you would see that it's an industry that is very unified in focus. Yes. Uh, we have a lot of trade bodies that are focused on maximizing the potential of the industry by sharing and working together. So, It's it's particularly interesting industry right now, I think, because it's one of a number of long-established traditional businesses, we can even talk about like taxes, um, which are being disrupted and reborn through digitization. Um, something else I've been looking at recently is live events like conferences mm -hmm. and so on, been around forever getting a new lease of life through digitization. So talk a bit more about out-of-home, because it's not just a static billboard anymore. There are all kinds of different opportunities, aren't there? Correct. Um, both from a technology standpoint and from a data standpoint. So a lot of our members are um, starting to experiment with things like real-time creative optimization right. based on mobile device proximity or based on weather triggers or search queries. Um, because we're starting to grow the digital uh, inventory that's available, everyone's in this exciting test and learn process. Mm -hmm. People are starting to look at selling their inventory in automated ways, um, using real-time data streams. Right. And we're trying to identify what does automation look like <clears throat> on a static piece of inventory. So still there's a, a large percentage of our inventory that are what we, we would call printed or static out of home um, that have huge value and huge audiences. Yes. But 
better audience data can help enhance the creative we're putting on those. Are we putting on a lunch or a dinner ad? Um, who is the audience that's passing those pieces of inventory? And automating the whole process so that start to finish, it just becomes easier to buy and plan and, and sell the inventory. Well, one thing I know is possible now, technologically possible, is that if I am walking past a, a smart kiosk, it is possible to identify me, albeit in an anonymous way, and deliver from the cloud some content to that kiosk, which is personalized directly to me. That's actually feasible now. It is feasible, um, but we're faced with this challenge where, for the most part, not in every circumstance, mm -hmm. but for the most part, out of a home is a, a one-to-many channel. Of course, yeah. So um, we're trying to balance the hyper-targeting right. capabilities that we have with the, the still understanding that our true value is that we reach a lot of people at the same time. And also, uh, playing devil's advocate, a piece of out-of-home advertising has, has the ability to endure. It's not something, an ad you see on your phone for a second and it's gone. You put up a really striking piece of out-of-home inventory and it can not only be seen by a lot of people, it can be seen for a few weeks. Correct, correct. Um, and, you know, we're really focused on self-regulation and being responsible and making sure that we're respecting consumers' privacy. It's been a key component in the development of the new methodology is making sure that everything is completely aggregated and anonymized. Um, so we want to make sure that we don't make some of the same mistakes that digital internet made yeah. where you're shopping for a refrigerator and then that refrigerator <laughs> ends up in... in investing itself in every single piece of content you consume. We want to yeah. make sure that we're not, um, that, that we're actually being productive and, and uh, not actually harming brands yes. by... Must uh, be a special pressure there because, of course, I can't add block if it's, uh, if it's out of phone. I'd like to see you try. <laughs> um, it's, it is, it's challenging to block an out-of-home ad. Yeah. Um, it's one of the strengths that we, we do have is that... Um, we're non-blockable, and there's no bots. <laughs> yeah, there's no bots no, on our, our ads. So Excellent. Okay, um, an obvious question, I guess, but I'm assuming you're U.S. only. Is that right? We are. Right now, we are focused on the United States, but as I said, we're getting calls yeah. we've never expected, and we've had inquiries from quite a number of international entities who see how important it is to have third-party mm -hmm. uh, measurement for their inventory. So while we are rolling this out in the United States, um, our partners who are helping us work on it, we're already having conversations where if there are countries that are in need of measurement, mm -hmm. what would we need to do to help empower those countries to move forward with a similar methodology? Um, we have many members who cross borders, mm -hmm. and it would be um, hugely valuable for those folks to have a similar methodology across the borders. Of course, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So. Even though a long-established, not-for-profit, sounds like you're at the beginning of a really interesting journey. It's been a fascinating time, and I think it will only in grow in, in how exciting it is, not just for Geopath, but really for the whole industry. Okay, Kim Frank, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And everyone, just look out for the next one on One Podcast.